Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. Like so many kids, I went through a firefighter phase where I wanted to ride on a fire truck and put out fires and wear all the cool gear. I got obsessed enough that my mother bought me a toy fire truck. Now, I'm not sure what got this going, besides the fact that fire trucks just look cool when they come ripping through your neighborhood, but it most certainly helped that the TV show Emergency had entered into reruns in my area, and I was able to watch it. And there were really dramatic rescues and saving of lives all done by a very charismatic cast, and I was really into it. That was until I saw an actual fire being put out in real life. It was in the fall, and you could hear fire trucks roaring through the neighborhood. My mother got a call from our neighbor, basically telling her about this fire that was happening near our school. My mother told me about it, and I acted sort of disinterested because I knew if I acted very interested, she would say, don't you go near that fire. So I acted disinterested, And even though it was very early in the morning, I got dressed, hopped on my bike, and went up to go see the fire. It was actually a house that I had seen many times, an old, old house, and it was engulfed in flames. And the fire was touching the houses on the side. There were multiple fire trucks crammed into this small street, and we could only watch it from a distance, unless you knew the shortcut behind the school and through this fence, which I did, so I could get into this little playground area and watch it from not very far away. And what I saw was hard to turn away from and also terrifying. People basically just marching into a house that was completely engulfed in flames. And I would later find out what they were trying to do was find someone who they thought was inside who turned out to not be inside. No one was hurt, but the visceral nature of it, the smell, the smoke, everything about it told me this work is way too dangerous for me. This is not something I could handle. These are people who do things that I could not do. And so my firefighter fantasies were shelved, and all of my future firefighter appreciation would be done vicariously through TV shows like Emergency. I feel lucky to have seen something like this at a very young age. Not because it corrected my behavior and helped me realize who I was, which was a little depressing at the time, but instead it gave me a greater appreciation for what our firefighters were doing. And this was a volunteer fire department, just bravely marching in to the flames, rescuing people, trying to make our town safer. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about a show that inspired my firefighting dreams and taught me all about the EMT and ambulance program, Emergency. We'll talk about the creators of the show, the people in front of and behind the cameras. We'll talk about its format, the vehicles, the music, its reception, its spin-offs, the shared universe it belongs to, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Emergency, with an exclamation point, is a television series that combined two shows into one. It was a medical drama and an action show about firefighters and paramedics. It stars many people, but primarily two paramedics, Randolph Mantooth as John Gage and Kevin Teig as Roy DeSoto. And we'll get more into those characters and the actors a little bit later. The show was created by Jack Webb, the very famous Jack Webb, who played Joe Friday on Dragnet, and Robert Sinader, also is credited as Harold Jack Bloom. Webb and Sinader had worked together before, both having jointly created Adam-12, which is itself a spin-off of the TV show Dragnet, which Jack Webb created and portrayed the lead in. Jack Randolph Webb was born in 1920. He passed away in 1982. He was an actor, producer, director, screenwriter, definitely best known for his role as the iconic Sergeant Joe Friday. But what a lot of people might not realize nowadays is that he also created a very successful production company, Mark 7 Limited. Robert Sinader also passed away in 1982. He was primarily a television producer, best known for his work on Emergency and Adam-12. As Senator worked on the show, he started to get really into the paramedic movement in the country. He became so involved that he received an appointment to the local Emergency Medical Services Commission in Los Angeles County. And the fire station that's featured in the show, the fictional Station 51, which is actually Fire Station 127 in Carson, California, is named in his honor. The third person who's credited with creation was Harold Jack Bloom, who wrote a lot for television. It seems that most of his involvement is around the pilot of the show, which was something he put a lot of effort into. Doesn't seem like there was a lot of effort in future stuff, or at least not credited that I could find. Still, he is a co-creator. The goal of emergency was realism. They wanted to portray the emergency medical services, EMS, to the point where they brought in a lot of great consultants, and the two main actors, Mantooth and Tig actually went through paramedic training. It all started back in 71 when Senator and Webb met with members of the LA County Fire Department to create a show about firefighters. They thought that they could just focus mostly on the physical side of the rescues, how the heroic paramedics and firefighters were going in to help people. But this wasn't going to be some 20-minute show or a half-hour show. This was going to be a full, what would be called an hour-long show, even though it's not an hour long. So they didn't think that would be enough. So they decided that they would focus on the paramedic program, but also bring it into the hospital. So you had three components going on here, firefighters, paramedics, and the hospital. When the show was being created, Los Angeles was home to two of the 12 paramedic programs in the entire United States. It had only been signed into law in 1970 that they could do paramedic program trials in the county. This was part of the Widworth Townsend Act, and the initial pilot of emergency was actually titled the Widsworth Townsend Act, which focused on a similar law to the original one with a name that's just slightly different. But it's about a law that allows paramedics to operate and in which parameters can they operate. They would look through fire station logbooks to get ideas for the show in the same way that Dragnet and other police dramas that would follow would try to pull things right from police files. And then they would try to get the series as technically accurate as possible, having it fact-checked by technical consultants, both on the paramedic side 
and on the firefighter side. In fact, they had real paramedics as on-set technical advisors throughout the series every day. The show was shot mostly on interior sets at Universal Studios. The exterior scenes of the fire station were shot at Station 127 in Carson, California, while the exterior of the hospital were shot at Harbor General Hospital, and they called it Rampart in the show. That is now Harbor UCLA Medical Center. If you go on Google Maps, you can still look up this fire station, and it looked recognizable last time I checked. One day I'd like to go and visit there. Now, in the show, it was called Station 51. At the time the series aired, there was no Station 51 in L.A. County. There had been one, but it had closed in the late 60s. In 1994, they reused the 51 name, but it's in a different location. There is a Station 51 now. The old Universal Studios fire station used to be called Station 60, but they renamed it to 51, and all the vehicles were renumbered, and now... Station 51 does exist, and it's at the place where the original emergency was filmed. I like this detail that I read online. They chose Station 127 to act as Station 51 because of the lighting. They had another choice, Station 106, in Rolling Hills Estate, but that one faced north as opposed to south. And so because of that, they chose a station based on its facing, even though they were similar enough in other aspects. I can only imagine it might have been inconvenient to the people who actually worked at Station 127 when they had to film things. I usually don't spot anybody floating around when they're shooting exterior scenes, which means they probably told them to scram while they were filming. I wonder if it made things tense. Rampart General Hospital. It was represented by Harbor General Hospital, located in Torrance, California. The name Rampart was carried over from the Adam 12 days because that's the real name of a division in the LAPD, so they just used that. It also sounds cool, Rampart. Something that gets reused often is footage of fire dispatch. This was filmed at the fire department's Keith E. Klinger Dispatch Center in East LA. As I've rewatched the show, I sort of enjoy trying to catch moments of the fire dispatch, mostly because I'm trying to look in the background of anything I might have missed from constant rewatchings of the show. And it's something I never really paid much attention to while watching the show originally. When you see someone on screen during these scenes, that's an actual. L.A. County Fire Department dispatcher, Sam Lanier, who did the voice of the dispatcher for the entire run of the series. Before I move on to the show itself, I just want to talk a little bit about the production company that Jack Webb started that produced the show. It was Mark 7 Limited. Mark 7 Limited was active from 1951 until Jack Webb's death in 1982. Most of it was done in association with Universal Television and aired on NBC. The estate of Jack Webb owns the full rights of most of the things that were produced by Mark Seven, the exception being the original film version of Dragnet from 1954, which was released by Warner Brothers, and two shows you probably haven't heard of, Pete Kelly's Blues and The DA. A lot of these shows do not get any play, except for the three main shows that most people have heard about, Dragnet, Adam-12, and Emergency. I have also covered another one that I really liked, which was about UFOs, called Project UFO, that didn't last very long. But there were a bunch of shows, and some attempts to do some crossovers, even with this, which we'll talk about a little later. Hey, let's go play fireman! I've got a new fire helmet and fire engine! You can be the fire chief, I'll run the 
Radio Shack's fire engine can be set for six different driving patterns with these easy-to-change cams. Get ready, here it comes! Set truck to go straight, in a circle, rectangle, oval, figure eight, even zigzag. Set truck! Pull up the ladder! Radio Shack fire engine and helmet sold separately. Comes with everything you see here, batteries not included. Dragnet and Adam-12 followed a very similar format. You had some partners in Dragnet, it was detectives. In Adam-12, it was patrolmen. And that would become the start of emergency. You had two paramedics, Gage and DeSoto, but they would open up things on emergency. You would get to know the characters at the firehouse. So you would actually have the firefighters back at the firehouse, captain, the rest of the crew. And then you had all of these doctors and nurses at Rampart General Hospital. So it was a hybrid, something that would catch on. You would see shows like Law and Order and other shows. The show was very formulaic in some ways. It would often start with something happening at the firehouse, usually doing some routine, cleaning the fire truck or cooking some food. And then in the middle of what would be a joke, maybe, they'd get a call that they had to go do a rescue. And then they would have the rescue. While doing the rescue, they would contact Rampart General Hospital, talk to someone there via the radio. Once they had stabilized the person they rescued, they would bring them to Rampart, and then more plots would unfold there. They would then return to Station 51 until another call would happen. Some of my favorite parts are the non-rescue stuff. I've seen those rescues so many times that I sort of started to enjoy the light banter and the chemistry between the cast, so I kind of look forward to when those are going to happen. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the cast, and it's quite large, so I'll try to move through it quickly, but I'll focus on some of the main people a little bit more. First, I want to start off with the two main stars of the show to me, John Gage and Roy DeSoto. Fire paramedic John Gage was played by Randolph Mantooth. John Gage was based on Battalion Chief Jim Page, who helped create the firefighter paramedic program. And Webb wanted to name the character after him, but Page declined, said, nah, you don't have to do that. And so the name is sort of similar, Page Gage. Page would pass away in 2004, and Randolph Mantooth was actually one of the speakers at his memorial. Randolph Mantooth was born Randy DeRoy Mantooth in 1945, is a actor with quite a resume, working on a great amount of TV shows in large and small roles. Probably best known, though, for his role on Emergency. It would be something that would stay with him his whole life, as he would lean into trying to help the paramedic program and firefighters in general, speaking at events, showing up at firehouses for events, really seems supportive of that community, and the community is very supportive of him. Senator had seen Mantooth in a small role and wanted to cast him as John Gage. It was something that would have been in the bag for him, but for some reason, Mantooth wasn't really into it, and it took repeated calls from Jack Webb to convince him to take the role, and he would own it. He's got a very light charm, and yet a youthful intensity that is a really good counterpoint to the more grounded Roy DeSoto. Roy DeSoto was played by Kevin Teig. Teig was born in 1944. He's also primarily a television actor on his resume, although he does film and theater as well. He mostly had done bit parts and extra work until he was cast as DeSoto on Emergency. After Emergency, he would make numerous guest appearances on lots of other shows and movies. Both Mantooth and Teig would do ride-alongs with the paramedics to get their training, to get everything right. They would also have to take criticism from paramedics who were on set, which I imagine was difficult when you're trying to act, but they seemed to take it in stride. I've heard Tyg and Mantooth make jokes about how they were messing up and 
when a paramedic would correct them and how silly it felt. I think the training was intense enough that if they had actually taken the paramedic test, they would have been certified paramedics, but neither of them ever took that test. And I believe it was Mantooth who said something along the lines of, what would you do in emergency if something went down? And his response was, well, the first thing I would do is call 911 to bring experts in, and I can dial 911 with the best of them. Julie London played Dixie McCall. London passed away in 2000, primarily known as a singer. She had been actually married to Jack Webb and then was married to Bobby Troop, who was also an actor on this show and was kind of surprised to get this role, but quite happy to work with Bobby Troop, her husband, on the show. She also was very popular with Mantooth and Tyg, who talk about her in glowing terms. She seemed to be a lot of fun on set, a joker, a listener, a good storyteller. Very talented, very subtle in her acting on the show. But if you want to look at Julie London online, search YouTube, hear her sing. She's very talented, as is her husband, Bobby Troop, which we'll get to in a moment. Robert Fuller played Dr. Kelly Brackett. Fuller was born in 1933. He was primarily known for westerns and did not want to do something that wasn't a western. But he was also convinced by Jack Webb to take the role after basically being told by Webb, Westerns are dying. You're not going to be able to find one. And he looked around and saw that all the Westerns were being canceled. And he decided Jack Webb was probably right. And he took the role of Kelly Brackett. Unfortunately, he also didn't seem to love doing it and wanted more off-time camera as he looked for more Westerns to do, dedicated to a genre. And so the later seasons of the show, there is a lot less Kelly Brackett, which is a shame because he's a good actor. If you watch early episodes of the show, one thing you'll notice is there's an attempt to make a relationship between Dr. Brackett and head nurse Dixie McCall. That gets nixed pretty quickly, mostly because there is zero chemistry between Robert Fuller and Julie London. And that might be because right on set was the person she had a lot of chemistry with, Bobby Troop, who played the very relaxed Dr. Joe Early. Troop passed away in 1999. He was a jazz singer, pianist, songwriter, and actor. If you know him from anything outside of Emergency, it is probably for the song he wrote and often sang, Route 66. He's a pretty cool guy in a way that 50s and 60s people could be cool. And I think some of that cool shows up in his character on the show. Ron Pinkard played Dr. Mike Morton. Pinkard was born in 1941, best known for his role as Dr. Morton on Emergency. But he would also go on to appear on tons of TV shows like Adam-12, Knight Rider, The Partridge Family, Matt Houston, General Hospital. The list goes on and on. There was a host of firefighters at the firehouse. Tim Donnelly played firefighter Chester B. Chet Kelly, sort of the foil for Johnny Gage. They're constantly getting into it. He passed away recently. If you were to watch anything besides Emergency of his, there's an episode of Dragnet, and he would appear in a bunch of episodes of Dragnet. And that episode is from March 6, 1969. It's called Burglary DR31. And Donnelly plays a thief, Stanley Stover, who breaks into places to steal stuff related to his favorite superhero. And it is sad and kind of heart-wrenching. He's a kind of early geek. He's dressed up and he has some problems. And the whole thing isn't really played for laughs at the end. You get this idea, oh, he's going to be a guy who dresses as a superhero. How silly. And then they capture him. And it's just really sad. Every time I watch it, I'm struck with the tone of the episode and how well Donnelly acts in it. So 
if you ever get the opportunity, that episode is often posted online if you ever wanted to search it. Marco Lopez played the aptly named firefighter Marco Lopez. Marco Antonio Lopez has a long history of working with Jack Webb. He was Jack Webb's stand-in for long shots on Dragnet, and he would make appearances on Dragnet and Adam-12. He was also the stand-in for Elvis in the 1956 movie Love Me Tender, so some star-studded stand-in work. He would play Lopez throughout the show, and then after Emergency went off the air, he, like everyone else on the show, would continue to work in lots of television shows and a few movies. And this is getting too many, so i got to round out the cast. Michael Norrell played Captain Henry Hank Stanley. Norrell's pretty interesting. He would go on to be a writer, working on a lot of things like The Love Boat, but this was his big role and the one that most people know him for. He's a pretty good captain. Has some funny parts. Mike Stoker played firefighter specialist Mike Stoker. Dick Hammer would play Captain Dick Hammer. There would be two dogs who would feature on the show. Probably the more famous one is Henry, who was named after the captain at the police station, who was a basset hound, who just sort of laid there and was a big joke. But there was another dog named Boot, who was on before season six. Boot just sort of disappears from the show, replaced by Henry. But I'm a big fan of Boot, who's a friend of the show. And I want to direct your energy to the Boot episodes before the Henry episodes, while Henry is a scene stealer, and he really is good on camera, Boot has more of a subtle energy and works really well with the actors and doesn't all about this sleepy shtick that Henry is about. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like Henry. I do like Henry. But for my money, it's all about Boot, who has real good Benji energy. The squad vehicle, Squad 51, which Gage and DeSoto drive in the show, was constructed by Universal, and it was an accurate replica of the units that were used by the L.A. County Fire Department prior to the filming of Emergency. These were stock 1970 Dodge D300 truck chassis. They were based on that because the L.A. County Fire Department weren't able to fill the request to build one for Universal by the time the show was going to premiere. So they did provide the blueprints, and the studio was able to build its own based on a 1972 Dodge D300 chassis. I don't know a lot of details about these vehicles, except for what I read online. But from what I understand, they're very well done. And famous enough that the L.A. County Fire Department donated it to the Los Angeles County Fire Museum, which restored it and put it on display in 1999. The Engine 51, which is used for firefighting, the actual fire truck, was originally a 1965 open cab crown fire coach. In the third season... They would replace that with a closed cab Ward LaFrance P80 Ambassador triple combination pumper. I had to write that down. Could not remember that at all. That Ward LaFrance would eventually wind up at the Los Angeles Fire Museum as well. That was added in 2012, and they would do a complete restoration. If you are a fan of Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels would release two things that would represent those vehicles, the 1977 Fire Eater, and then in 1998, they actually released the Emergency Squad. There is another fire engine that shows up on the show, and I love this plot line. It would go on for multiple seasons. They restored an old antique dentist fire engine. They even dressed as old-timey firefighters in an episode to fight a fire. I don't have much more to say about it, except for I really do like those episodes, and I wish they had drawn that out more and had done more about the restoration and then fighting a fire with this old fire engine. As for equipment and vehicles, online, there is just so many people who have tracked everything about this show. 
and the details are fascinating. So if you are a fan of firefighting or paramedics, please do do a search on the equipment of emergency. It's just amazing. They show how people used it, if they were using it correctly, the very model numbers of everything, what's in each cabinet on the vehicle. So if you're opening up, what's going to be in it? Just amazing. Did you ever wonder what the best five episodes of Emergency are? Here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of Emergency. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl bringing you the top five episodes of the action-packed medical drama series, Emergency. At number five is season five, episode 12, On Camera. A documentary film crew follows Squad 51, recording a sampling of the paramedics' daring daily adventures of trauma and rescue. The squad encountered a rattlesnake bite, a would-be stuntman dangling from an I-beam, a boy who fell down a cliff, and a man trapped under a burning truck of hot tar. Stunning footage for the film crew, but just another day at the office for Roy, Johnny, and the team. At number four is season three, episode two, The Old Engine. Station 51 gets a new engine, which is put to good use, attending to a junkyard fire. While at the junkyard, Johnny and Roy buy an old rundown British fire engine, a 1932 dentist, for $80. Cases include a woman strung out on LSD who leads the paramedics to the top of a building where Roy tries to talk her down, Dr. Brackett and Dixie treat a gunshot victim who later walks out of the hospital immediately after undergoing surgery. Squad 51 also responds to a politician suffering a heart attack and to a warehouse fire where they rescue a firefighter who fell through the roof. Meanwhile, Rampart's base station gets a technology upgrade, including a cassette tape recorder and radio for transmissions by the fire department dispatcher. Number three is season one, episode seven, Publicity Hound. Tom Wheeler from Squad 110 agitates Johnny by constantly making the news with easy rescues, thanks to a reporter's help. Covering for Squad 110, which is on another call, Roy and Johnny head to Marina Del Rey to rescue a man trapped in ship's rigging. Over at Rampart, Dr. Brackett clashes with a wealthy capitalist named J.P. Dumont over a diagnosis. Elsewhere in emergency land, a horse is rescued from a pit, and a five-year-old girl is saved from a construction site storm drain. Note that you can see the real-world construction for the Universal theme park in the background. Paramedic Wheeler again makes the news as Johnny and Roy hand the girl up to Wheeler where the waiting TV cameraman is filming the action. Poor Johnny, upstaged again. At number two is season six, episode 10, Welcome to Santa Rosa County. Roy and Johnny take a fishing trip to Santa Rosa County, but it turns into a working vacation when they must save climbers trapped on a cliff and assist a man injured in a boat explosion. These guys could compete with Quincy M.E. for the world's least relaxing vacation, am I right? And the number one episode of Emergency is Season 3, Episode 6, Snakebite. On their way home from an out-of-state fishing trip, Johnny, Roy, and Chet happen upon badly hurt victims of a car crash in a remote area where only a local doctor can authorize treatment. Later on, the station responds to a car of joyriding teenagers off the side of the road, and Johnny is bitten by a rattlesnake. Fun fact, the rattlesnake that bites Johnny was real. Although defanged, it had to be pulled off of Mantooth's pant leg while filming. That's Randy Mantooth for ya, braving ornery serpents for the sake of authenticity. And 
there you have it. The Retroist's top five episodes of the medical adventure TV series, Emergency. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. If you have watched Emergency before, you've probably heard this. That is the theme song for Emergency, which was written by Nelson Riddle. Nelson Riddle would do both the theme song and some music for the show. He passed away in 1985. He was a composer, band leader, musician, had a career that went over 40 years and would work with some of the greats of that era, including Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, Ella Fitzgerald, Peggy Lee, and Dean Martin, amongst many others. He would score and arrange music for many films and television, winning an Academy Award and three Grammy Awards. Other music on the show would be provided by Billy May, another incredibly talented composer who would work on shows that you've heard of, like The Mod Squad, Batman, The Naked City. He would also orchestrate the music for Cocoon and work with some of the same luminaries that Nelson Riddle worked with. Just a very talented person. He was originally a trumpet player and worked with the Glenn Miller Orchestra and lots of big band leaders that are well-known from that time. The show debuted on NBC as a mid-season replacement on January 15, 1972. It would take over for shows that didn't last. The Good Life and The Partners turns out to be a good replacement because it would run for 122 episodes, finally ending in May 28th of 1977. And then they would have six additional two-hour television films over the next two years, 1978 and 1979. But what else was on that night when the show premiered? Let's look at some guide from that time. You had at 8 o'clock on CBS, All in the Family, pretty good night. You had on NBC, the world premiere of the emergency movie, which would be the first episode. Then on Channel 5, and this is in New Jersey, you had Petticoat Junction, which is a syndication. You had Bewitched on ABC. And then on Channel 9, you had the New York Rangers Hockey. Then at 8.30, CBS was showing the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Channel 5 was showing a creature feature. This is nice. Castle of Terror. And then ABC was starting its movie of the weekend which was Madam Sin, starring Betty Davis and Robert Wagner. Channel 11, which is WPIX, which is a favorite of mine, was showing I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. What a hard decision of what to watch. At 9 o'clock, you had the new Dick Van Dyke show on CBS. 9.30, CBS was showing Arnie. And then at 10, finally, things changed for NBC, but you had Mission Impossible on CBS, Lights Out on NBC, a World Heavyweight Fight on Channel 5, Joe Frazier vs. Terry Daniels. On ABC, The Sixth Sense, which is described as the one-hour dramatic series exploring psychic phenomenon and extrasensory perception. That would have been hard to resist. So, a pretty good night of television. Later that night, you had Schiller Theater 2 on Channel 11 and Tales of Terror on Channel 9. And then, even on Channel 13, which is PBS, you got The Scarecrow starring Barbara Allen and Gene Wilder about a scarecrow who is brought to life and learns the importance of love. Amazing. So a really good night of television, NBC throwing emergency out there against some heavy competition. It's amazing that it survived because it was up against some pretty good stuff. When emergency would end, they would shift to 
TV movies. Those are excellent in their own right if you get a chance to check those out. Higher budget. They're often traveling outside of the LA area. So if you're from a certain area, say Seattle, you could watch Most Deadly Passage and see a ferry catch fire in the middle of a trip and rescue has to happen. But the other ones are The Steel Inferno, which is a very towering inferno sort of plot. Survival on Charter 220, which involves two planes colliding. What's a nice girl like you doing? which has the guys traveling to San Francisco to observe the new female paramedics at work. And then finally, The Greatest Rescues of Emergency, which is a clip show, but it does have a framing story. And then The Convention, which brings them back to San Francisco and has them riding along with San Francisco Fire Department paramedics again. The Legoland Firehouse One. You can build a firehouse and even close the door. The building's only started because there's more and more and more. The roof can make your chopper blades to get you in the air. The sides can make a fireboat in case you're floating there. And when you've built what's on the box, it's time for something new. Dreaming up's the best part of Legoland and you. There are 26 town sets you can collect, each sold separately. Firehouse One is part of the Legoland Town Collection and has hundreds of bricks for building from Lego Systems. While the show was running, it did have crossovers with other attempts at shows, including some that weren't really related, but just sort of mention things that would tie it into emergency and potentially make everything part of this larger universe of television shows. But specifically, they would appear in the TV show Sierra, which is a show that didn't last long, a attempted backdoor pilot called 905 Wild which would have been about the L.A. County Department of Animal Control and would have featured Mark Harmon and Albert Popwell. Squad 51 itself briefly appeared on the TV show Chips, and the TV show Quincy has a call to Rampart General Hospital, which didn't exist except for in the emergency universe. They would actually use stock footage of Station 51 when Quincy would go to visit Station 44 in that show. They would also contact Rampart in later episodes. What made this happen was Senator was also working at Quincy. So he was kind of pulling in from his own world into the Quincy world and making them a joined universe. They would also do a emergency spinoff as a cartoon called Emergency Plus Four, which would show up on NBC between 1973 and 1976. It's about four kids and their three pets who go on rescue adventures with Gage and DeSoto. Now, all of this means that there is a giant crossover universe of the Dragnet, Adam-12, Emergency, all the other stuff tied together. And there is some crossover with characters from each show. But there's one that's weird that sticks out in my mind, which is we get to meet the characters from one show on another, meaning you get to see the characters from Emergency and Adam-12 interact with each other. But then in an episode of Emergency, they're watching Adam-12 on television and talking about those characters as if they're a TV show and not the people they have interacted with in past episodes. And so it makes me wonder, was Adam-12 supposed to be some early reality show where they were following these two characters around? They never hinted that. It doesn't make sense the way it was filmed. And yet they did this very strange thing where there they are talking about all the characters on Adam-12 and how they love the show, the show that they're a part of somehow. It is very strange, very odd, maybe just not very well thought out, but I love that they did it. If you are a fan of Emergency and want to own things beyond the Hot Wheels cars I talked about earlier, they would release other merchandise, including a lunchbox, some comic books, power records, 
produced three original audio dramas based on Emergency, which they released on LP. There was a board game released by Milton Bradley. And then if you want to get really deep into this and don't want to do searching on the internet, there's a book called Emergency Behind the Scenes by Richard Yokeley and Roseanne Sutherland, which was published in 2008. It's nice and detailed, has lots of good information, obviously written by a fan. Good stuff. The series went into syndication very early, after the fifth season, so back in 1976, and it was often aired in late afternoons, so kids coming home from school got to see it. And that pattern would happen for years, and that's how I got to see it. It was sort of an after-school thing that would be on. When it was first syndicated, it would go by the title Emergency One, so people wouldn't confuse it with the emergency TV show that was currently on the air, even though it was still the same show. That syndication would continue. It would eventually show up on TV land and find all sorts of new fans, and is currently on some retro TV stations. I believe Cozy TV might be showing it right now, but it'll probably show up somewhere else in the future. It was great when Emergency was available on Netflix. I watched it there a lot. They had all of Jack Webb's stuff. They had Dragnet. They had Emergency. They had Adam-12. And I would watch all of them pretty much on a loop. For a while now, the show had not been available on streaming services. I can't imagine that will last forever. But it was released on DVD starting in 2005. And that release schedule would stretch until 2010. And then in 2011, they would release the movies. And then in 2016, the complete series as a box set. Very worth owning if you're an emergency fan, especially when there's nothing to stream. Although I will say that many times this show is uploaded to the internet. So you can probably find episodes on YouTube or other video hosting services from time to time if you want to catch it. The show had quite an effect. It popularized the concept of paramedics and emergency medical services in the U.S. And it would inspire local governments and state governments to expand the services. You had these heroic characters doing great things in a very accessible way. And so people really responded to that. Plus, they were doing a really great service. The Smithsonian Institute would actually display the equipment from the show in the National Museum's American History section. This includes the helmets, the biophone, and the defibrillator from the show. And as I mentioned, the vehicles of the show are in the L.A. County Fire Museum, so still reaching people and teaching people about firefighting and its history. We don't really pay attention to the fact that before emergency, the ambulance service was helping people in some ways, but it was a patchwork and it didn't do advanced treatment. It was basically about first aid and transportation, which helped a lot of people. But people did talk about putting doctors, say, on ambulances and sending them out, but that was expensive. And so here was this really clever way to train people and get them in touch with doctors who could help. And it saved so many lives. And Tig and Mantooth haven't stopped trying to help even as they've grown older, they've stayed focused on helping paramedics and firefighters, showing up at events, speaking wherever they can about it. They most recently announced that they're intending to do a film that follows a half a dozen EMS crews in the United States, and they're going to document the day-to-day work and lives of EMS employees in a documentary called Into the Unknown, The Paramedic's Journey. And so now, all these years later, even when they're not in front of the camera anymore. They're behind the camera trying to forward this program that helps people and portray it in a positive light so that people will support it. 
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy, if you like what you hear. You can follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top 5 list. If you like what you hear, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter. The art you see promoting the show is by Christopher Tupa. Christopher Tupa creates a lot of really cool art, a lot of great pop culture references. If you like what you see, you should check out Christopher Tupa's website. He's at ctupa.com. That's ctupa.com. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you want to support the show, you should give it a five-star review wherever you download it. And you can also drop by and support the show via Patreon at patreon.com retroist. If you're a Patreon supporter, you get bonus tracks, bonus episodes, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and a great feeling of well-being. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. So these two shows are obviously connected, but how? What's going on here? Where are the cameras and who is behind the cameras? Doesn't make any sense. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.